0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Praise the name of the Lord. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled... He'll use what you give him. He'll use what you give him. I don't know if you remember in the Old Testament, the Bible, and we're not going to turn over there and read it, but when God, uh, when Moses encountered the presence of the Lord there in the desert, and God commissioned Moses to go... Uh, and help to deliver the people of Israel and to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, 400 years of slavery, 400 years of bondage. Moses made all kinds of excuses as to why he couldn't first. He said, I can't, you know, I can't do anything because I'm not a public speaker. Nobody's going to listen to me. I can't speak. I, I have a speech impediment of sorts that it's going to make it difficult for people to actually want to listen to me. And God said, fine, you tell Aaron what it is that I've told you and then Aaron's going to speak on your behalf. God got over that hurdle with Moses. Moses said, I, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything that is really going to, to help. Remember the Bible says this, God asked Moses, what's in your hand? What is it that's in your hand? And Moses looked at him and said, it's a rod. It's just a rod. It's a staff that, you know, a shepherd might have had the crook on the end where the shepherd's crook where they could get the sheep if the sheep are going astray. But it was just an ordinary rod. He says, I've got a rod. He said, throw it on the ground. Threw it on the ground. All of a sudden, it became a snake, a serpent. God said, wisely, pick it up by the tail. Don't go for the head. It's going to bite you. Get it by the tail. Got it by the tail. As soon as he did, it turned back into a rod. That rod became an instrument. It was something so small, something that probably somebody had hewn out of a tree over time. Moses had maybe done so, and over time had had whittled that thing down to where he could use it out of a tree, and, and it was just an ordinary rod, but it was something that God was able to use. It was something that Moses had to be able to offer God. I'd like you to just go now. Let's start at reading at verse 5 in John chapter 6, verse 5. And the Bible says this When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he was already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. He already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, Philip seems to be the voice of logic, the mathematician in the group. Philip answered, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I'm going to stop reading right there. We'll get to the other verses in in a little bit. How far will they go among so many? The scene is this of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That would be what the end result would eventually turn out to be in that moment. But the Bible starts out with Jesus seeing these people coming toward him, and he knew they were hungry. In fact, the other Gospels, all four Gospels record this event, though there are some slight differences or differences Of what was said, one gospel writer records one thing, another gospel writer records another piece of it. But nonetheless, Jesus looks out and he sees, and and I believe Mark points out the fact that it was 5,000 men. Not including women and children that were there. So the number was huge. It was enormous. The people that were there, the people that had been in in one of the Gospels writes and says that they had been with Jesus for three days. And it was time for them to go home, but Jesus always concerned about the whole person. Do you know that he is concerned about the whole person? He's concerned about you, not only spiritually, but physically as well. Those of you who came in with physical ailments and troubles in your life, you need to know that he cares about those things as well as your spiritual well-being. He cared about enough about the whole person to say, we've got to give these people food or they're going to faint on the way. We've got to get them something. So he puts it to Philip. He says, Philip, We're going to buy food enough for all these people. Now, uh, I was reading a little bit in uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a man, a a British pastor from many, many years ago, around the turn of the century, he said that, that 60 years earlier, when he was just a young, young man, he had gone, I believe he had gone to hear George Mueller preach, who in his German accent, George Mueller, stood up and he preached on this text, the text that said that he already had in mind what he was going to do. And he said, I heard him preach on that, and it was an amazing, amazing thing. The fact that when Jesus asked Philip, Jesus wasn't asking his advice because Jesus didn't know what to do. There are times in life where he allows the questions to come to our hearts and our minds, not because he doesn't know what's going on and he doesn't know what's happening in your life, but because he wants us to trust in him and fully put our hope in him. John records the intent of Jesus' question. It was to test Philip. No other purpose. To test Philip. I don't know if you remember the story. We're not going to take time to read it, but in Ezekiel chapter 37, it records for us the valley of dry bones, the vision that that Ezekiel had of the valley full of dry bones. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord took him up and set him down in the middle, middle of a valley that was full of dead dry bones. There was nothing there. It was just bones. And he told Ezekiel he said, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And he, he asked him this before he, he kind of clued him in on the point that he wanted to make through this experience. He asked him this question. He said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, the very important question. Because it was put to a human being who understands life and death. When you're dead, you're dead. Pretty much, you're not coming back. At that point, they had no defibrillators. At that point, they had no hospital rooms and emergency rooms. They didn't know, you know, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation besides the fact it was bones. He said to him, can these bones live? Now, I love Ezekiel's response. The Bible records for us and tells us that Ezekiel said this, O Lord, you know. In other words, he was saying, Lord, I'm not going to limit you by my own fleshly ideas and solutions. I'm not going to to say to you what I think it is that I believe you can do. But Lord, I'm going to put it in your hands. Lord, I'm going to put it right back to you. And I'm going to say, Lord, only you know. I really wish and I believe that what Jesus really wanted Philip to say at this point is, Lord, I'm going to leave this in your hands. Only you know what it is that can be done here. I'm going to trust in you to do something wonderful and great. Listen, how long it was that Jesus had already been performing miracle after miracle after miracle and still Philip is calculating according to the flesh. God doesn't want us to calculate according to the flesh. He wants us to trust in the fact that whatever He is able to do, then when we come to Him, we're going to say, Lord, it's impossible for us. But whatever is impossible for man is always possible for God. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some are going to trust in horses and chariots, but we're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Philip, you know, he... Pulled out his calculator. Eight months, eight months salary. Are you kidding me? Lord, eight months wages isn't even enough. I don't know why he went, didn't go up to, all the way to how many months wages it would actually be for everybody to eat, but he stopped at eight months. I don't know if he couldn't figure that high, but eight months wages, Lord, not even everybody can eat. And I believe in. John tells us and he clues us into the fact that he was saying it to test Philip. In other words, Philip, will you just trust in me that I can do the impossible? Will you trust in me that though it looks negative, though it looks bad, though it looks hopeless on the outside, that God specializes in situations that seem impossible with man and he's able to step in and do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You say it's impossible. The doctors say it's impossible. Your, your, your friends and family say it's impossible. And God says, no, with me I can do all things. God asked, asked uh, he asked Jeremiah, is anything too hard for God? Later on, as Jeremiah is writing, he says, "Ah, nothing is too difficult for you, Lord. Nothing is too difficult for you. There is nothing that is too hard for God to accomplish. And brothers and sisters, in the flesh, these were 12 disciples standing there with Jesus. They're looking over a multitude of people that numbered greater than 5,000, even though the the gospel writers only record 5,000. It was 5,000 men besides women and children. They're looking out over this great number of people. They say, there's no way that this can happen, Lord. There is absolutely no way. And Philip confirms their negativity on it all. He confirms how bad the situation looks. Lord, eight months' salary wouldn't even get enough for everybody to eat. And there isn't anybody sitting around here with eight months' salary hanging out in their pockets. Lord, what are we going to do? Well, that's what really what Jesus asked them. What are we going to do, Philip? It might have been better for Philip to just say, "Lord, you know what what can be done here," and so, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I am not going to limit you with what I think. I'm not going to limit you with with my way of doing things and my way of calculating and figuring and doing all of that. You know what, brothers and sisters. Time and time again, not only throughout Scripture, but also throughout church history. Anything that has ever been done that has been great for God has been done in the face of impossible situations and impossible odds. God, you know, God looks down and He knows, the Bible says here, that Jesus knew what He was going to do. He already had in mind what it was that was going to happen. And we often say, well, I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know that. And it's true, we might not know. But maybe in the face of not knowing, what we have to say is, God, you do know. So I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to trust in you. No matter how bad it looks, I will believe and trust in you. John chapter 6 and verse 8. Here's really where I want us to get. Because this is sort of an amazing thing. And, you know, Andrew, Peter's brother, kind of steps up and he tries to bring a solution of sorts. He tries to go to a place where maybe Philip didn't go. He's looking around and I don't know how deep into the crowd he got. You got 5,000 plus people sitting there. You, You can imagine that with a crowd that size, the disciples can't go go too far into it. And they're there, and and they're just standing there waiting for Jesus to do something. And all of a sudden, Philip looks around, and he probably sees this little boy who had come who was carrying a little lunch. His mother had enough foresight to, you know, pack the kid something to eat. And he brings the little boy to Jesus. The Bible says this, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy, Now notice how in, in front of each of these words, it shows how small it is. In fact, that's, that's the word in English that it uses, but the whole sentence is this sort of a, like a diminutive, like we're making, you know, almost not making light of it, but showing how tiny this is by comparison to the need. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then he adds, big dummy, shouldn't have added this, but how far will they go among so many? How far will they go among so many? So here, not only did Jesus test Philip, but Andrew jumped into the test all by himself and failed. You know, you ever see somebody being tested by the Lord, and you just, you know, you put yourself in it, and then you realize you failed in faith too. Here's here's Andrew. He's trying to come up with a solution, but he realizes this guy had this kid has five, not just five barley loaves, five small barley loaves. And two small fish. These weren't big fish. These were small fish. Well, he was a small kid. What do you want? You know, that was probably his lunch. And he's a small guy. And and Andrew comes along and says, well, here's the little boy. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But Lord, even that can't meet the need. Now, listen to what Matthew records. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read one small verse of what Jesus said when he hears of the loaves and the fishes. Matthew 14 and verse 18 says this. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, bring them here to me. Andrew had already confessed how this is not going to meet the need. Andrew had already discounted that which was small, that which was diminutive, that which which would do absolutely nothing to help meet the need of the people. He had already said, Lord, here's a little guy with a very small lunch in hand. He's got five small barley loaves, two small fish. But, Lord, not going to happen. It's not going to meet the need. It's not going to be enough. We have thousands of people out here who are hungry, Lord. But what is that among so many? And Jesus still says, bring them here to me. He'll take whatever you give him. You say, I don't have anything to offer the Lord. I don't have, maybe, maybe you've got a talent, you've got a gift, you've got an ability, something that you like to do, something you enjoy in life, and you think, God can't use that. I'm here to let you know God will use whatever you give him. The problem is most of the time people sit around trying to figure out what it is that they can give God and they're giving God nothing. They're giving God absolutely nothing. You say, all I have is years of heartache and heartbreak and sorrow and pain and frustration. And yes, I've come to the Lord and He saved me and He's given me hope, but I don't have anything to give Him. Why don't you start by giving Him the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak and the sorrow? And how many testimonies have you heard in life of people who simply gave their pain and their heartbreak and their sorrow to the Lord and the Lord used that to bless others? It's an amazing thing. He'll take whatever you give him. You say, i got very little to give him. We'll give him the little. Amen. I was going to save this until a little bit later, but I want to read this to you. This is a hymn. I heard Larry Ford sing this years ago at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and he's, you know, he sings at any time the Gaither uh, gathering gets together, and he's, the, he's just such a powerful voice. But I'm just going to read, read the first couple of stanzas of this hymn. It's called little is much when God is in it. In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. The fourth stanza says this. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child. Well done. Little is much. When God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. That little boy had something that was so small and so little by comparison to the need, and yet Jesus looked at it and he said, that's all I need whatever small thing you have to give God, I'm here to let you know, He'll use whatever you give Him. He'll use the pain of your life. He'll use the frustration of your life. He'll use the difficulties that you have been through. And when you've come through on the other side of it, then you can stand and you can say, like so many through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. It's because of His grace and His power in our lives that He's Able to turn it around and change it and use it for his glory. He said, Bring them here to me. Don't leave it in the bag because I can't do anything with nothing. I I won't do anything with nothing. Certainly he could have done it. You know, you wonder why at that point Jesus didn't just somehow speak a word over them and just said, You know, be filled in the name, in my name. Go to your homes. By then, they're probably, you know, a little hypoglycemic. They're a little weak. They're just feeling like, I don't have any kind of strength. And Jesus says, now be filled. No, he could have done that. But he didn't. Instead, he multiplied what it was That that little boy gave. Why? Because I believe with all my heart that he wants us to understand today that whatever it is that we have to give to the Lord, whatever talents, whatever abilities, whatever gifts, whatever anything we might have, whether it's good or bad, we offer it to the Lord. God will take and he will turn those things around and he will multiply it to be able to bless many. Many times we don't have the vision. He's got the vision. You see, we look and we see a huge crowd, too great of a need. You look around in the city, you get overwhelmed. As a pastor from time to time, I look around in the city, God, this city is so huge. There are so many people of so many needs. And 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 we have such limited resources to be able to reach out and meet the needs that are there. And, and you look around, and there are other churches in the similar circumstances, no matter how big they are, it doesn't matter how huge a church might be. That that we are it seemingly is great. The task in front of us is great, but we have to say, Lord, whatever it is, that we have to give, we're going to give it and believe that you're going to multiply it. That's what, that's what September the 18th is all about. Back to church Sunday. It's about us just saying, Lord, what, what, you know, I can invite somebody. I can open my mouth and say, why don't you come with me to church? I can do that. Say, I'm not even sure I can do that. Yes, the Lord will give you strength. He's going to help you. He's going to give you the power that you need to be able to open your mouth and just overcome any kind of fear and invite somebody to church. And when they come in, whatever little you've given to God, God's going to multiply it and do something great with it. Little is much when God is in it. You know what? He will use whatever it is that you give him. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 10. The Bible says this, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, I, I honestly think that one of the reasons why Jesus did not say to the people, now, you know, just be strengthened and go home, is because very few of them there, though they had listened to Jesus for a few days and maybe even seen miracles, might not have had the faith to turn around and walk home. But you know what they had? They had they had the faith to sit down they had the power to sit down they had in that moment they were able to do that jesus said have them all sit down don't even feed them standing up this they're they're too weak for it let's feed them and they're going to sit down and this is just going to be the biggest picnic in recorded biblical history have them sit down and then the bible says this there was plenty of grass in that place the men sat down about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, those five, remember, five small loaves, two small fishes, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This was not a rationing that occurred. This was no, you know, you get get one little crust of bread and you get one little morsel of, of fish You get one tiny little piece of it. This was not, this was, people needed strength. They needed fuel. And the Bible says here that he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Amazing. They're sitting there and how Jesus, I don't know, I don't know what, you know, you, I wish I could have seen exactly how it started to multiply. You know, as he began to break it, all of a sudden did the bread in his hand just, You know, there was just never an end. You know how, how magicians do it out of their sleeve, you know? just No, not like that. But I'm just, you know, how did it happen? We don't really know. Scripture doesn't concern us with that. It's not important in the end. It's just a curiosity. But the most important thing is this, is that the people who were there who were in need were filled. One of the gospel writers says, and all were satisfied. Oh, listen, doesn't that remind you of a verse of Scripture that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you taste Him, you don't want anything else. When you taste what He's got, there is nothing else that will do. When Jesus satisfies the soul, and I'm telling you, He will satisfy your soul. He will give you exactly what you need. But in that moment, He multiplied it so that everybody ate And they ate. And they, hey, I don't know if people are coming up for seconds. I don't know if they say, I just need a little more. I need something else. But there was enough food for everybody to eat and to be satisfied. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is not about to skimp on what it is that you have to give him. What you have to give him, he will multiply to be able to bring the satisfaction of the soul to somebody's life that is around you that he wants to use you to talk touch and to minister and bring grace and bring help. All the need is great. There's no doubt about it. But you know, if we look through the eyes of flesh, we're going to get overwhelmed. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to think there's no way that God can ever use us. There's no way that the need could ever be met. And you know what? I think what we all have to do is we have to begin to say, Lord, you just you take what little I have And Lord, I'm going to trust that you know exactly what you're going to do with it because the Bible says he already knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to feed that whole crowd. He knew in that time That's exactly what was going to happen. So we've got to trust in the fact that God already knows that He is omniscient, that He knows everything. He sees, the Bible says, from the end to to the beginning. He knows exactly what's going on. And you know what? We've got to believe and to trust that God knows, though we don't. I shared this on a Tuesday night a little while ago, and I'll share this with the congregation in closing. Uh, When I was up in Maine, I had the... uh, Visiting my my mother and family there, I had the opportunity to go up in a small airplane um, down in central Maine. And, you know, no matter where you are, if you're, you know, you're walking down the street, sometimes you don't see past some of the things that are there. You don't see past the buildings. And of course, in Maine, you don't see past the trees that are around you. All you see is just, you know, it's forest. And, And you you just see only a small amount, very little. And went up in that airplane with my brother-in-law's father as he he flew, he's a pilot. And he went up in the plane and all of a sudden he said, you know, it's a nice clear day. He said, we probably have a good hundred miles of visibility. And as we began to fly up over in that central part of Maine, he said, you look out that way and you can see some of the hills of, of western Maine headed toward Quebec, Canada. And he said, as you look the other direction, you can see down toward Bar Harbor near the coast of Maine. He said, you can, you can begin to see and look at what it is that's going on there. And, and, and you can see all the things that are out there, the hills that, that just border that national park that's there. He said, you, you look and you see, you can see all, all out there. And I realized in that moment, the scripture immediately came to me. That he sees the end from the beginning. When I was on the ground, I could only just see a little bit across the lake that we were at. But when you get up a little bit higher, you begin to see further and you can see what's going on. You know what? You realize that God has the expanse of your life all figured out, folks. You don't. He does. We've got to trust in him. He already knows what he's going to do in your life tomorrow. He already knows what he's going to do in your life three years from now. He sees the end from the beginning. You don't ever have to doubt that God has forgotten about you. You need to know that he cares very, very much about where you're at. So the question is, what are you going to give him? I say, right now, all I have to give him is discouragement. That's all right. Give it to him. Say, Lord, I don't know if you can use this. You know, the amazing thing is, is God doesn't multiply your discouragement. He brings you through it, encourages you, so that then you can look back and have a testimony about how when you were discouraged, He brought you through. In that sense, when you give it to Him, He's not going to take the bad stuff and multiply the bad stuff. Nobody needs that he's not going to do that. He's going to take it and he's going to turn it around and use it for good. It's like the life of Joseph. When he was in Egypt, he confessed to his brothers. He said to his brothers, when he finally revealed himself in that emotional experience of, of reu- reuniting with his family, he said to them, you know what, fellas, you meant it for harm. And when I was wasting away, he didn't say it all this way, but you look back over his life, I was wasting away in in an Egyptian prison. I, I interpreted dreams for these guys. They forgot about me. Well, one of them died. He got killed. The other guy, he forgot all about me. And here I sat for another couple of years in that prison until finally all of a sudden he remembered He said, what it was that you intended for harm in my life, I've got to tell you, and I've got a testimony that God turned it around for good. What the devil has meant for harm, you can even take those bad things and you can say, Lord, here it is. And God says, that's fine, I'm going to use it as a testimony of my grace and turn it around for good in your life. I'm going to change the situation to help you to be able to stand your ground and say, I want you to all see how good God is. How great he is. Can we stand to our feet today?